1: It's February 4th, 2003, and it's the night before Sofia Juarez's fifth birthday. Like any kid on their birthday eve, she is so excited. That evening, she was playing with her brother in her room. There are differing accounts of what happened next, but at some point, Sofia left the home and simply disappeared. Despite an extensive search and publicity, no trace was found of the little girl. Investigators never gave up, though, and now, 18 years after Sofia was last seen, there have been several new leads in this case, and one that could possibly change everything. And of all places, this explosive new clue came from TikTok. When a person goes missing, there's a special kind of pain in the not knowing. I want to tell the stories of those who never came home. I want to tell you the story of Sofia Juarez. I'm Kona Gap. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. I really wanted to get this story out there as soon as possible because, as I mentioned in the intro, there have been some exciting new leads in this case. And it is possibly closer to being solved than it ever has been before.
2: Because of TikTok?
1: Partially, yes. Okay. I know. Not much. Now let's get to the story of Sofia Juarez. Sofia Lucerno Juarez was born on February 5th, 1998 to Maria Juarez. Maria was a teenager when she became pregnant with Sofia and didn't have a relationship with her daughter's father. Maria was around 16 when Sofia was born, but she came from a tight-knit family. The Juarez family was originally from Mexico, but they had mainly lived in California, and I do believe that's where Sofia was born. But at some point, the family moved to Kennewick, Washington, and Maria and Sofia came to join them around 2001. Maria, Sofia, and Sofia's younger brother lived in a home with Maria's mother, Ignacia Horace, Ignacia's boyfriend, Jose Torres, and six aunts and uncles, as well as various cousins. So crowded house. Yeah, very packed house.
2: So, what you, I'm sorry, you said Sofia's little brother?
1: Yes. So, Sophia had a little brother.
2: And is uh, his dad in the picture?
1: I do not know. I, I couldn't find anything about his father. Okay. Now, I've read various accounts of what happened next, with some saying that Sophia simply slipped out of the house without anyone knowing. But it doesn't seem like that's actually the case. Based on articles that came out at the time of her disappearance, it seems as though Ignacia's boyfriend, Jose, he who was basically like a grandfather right. to the kids, Yeah. Around 8.30 that night, he asked if any of them wanted to go to the store with him. He had to like pick up milk and get gas. Just, you know, going. It was literally just going to the convenience store down the street. Okay. None of the kids said that they did, but apparently Sophia changed her mind at the last minute. She went into her mother's room to ask her, and her mother gave her a dollar to get a treat at the store. So with the dollar in her pocket, Sophia left the house after Jose.
2: So, I'm sorry, did you say Jose was was driving to the convenience store or walking?
1: Uh, Yeah, he uh, was driving because he had to go get gas. Right, okay. But it was like right down the street. So, it's, it's something that was within walking distance, but he was driving because he had to get gas.
2: So, the four-year-old little girl walks down the street.
1: Right. And, well, but that wasn't the plan, right? Like, Maria thought that Jose was like still out there and she was just literally going outside to get him. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, we have kids and we know that getting them out of the house isn't as simple as just giving them a dollar and sending them on their way. Like this was 830 at night. So and Sophia was playing. So she almost certainly didn't have shoes on. Right. Yeah. And who knows if she was even dressed like she could have been in pajamas. She could have been ready for bed. Exactly. So who knows? So I'm sure Maria had to get her ready to some extent. When Sophia left the house, she was wearing blue overalls, a red shirt and white Converse sneakers. And Maria reportedly did see Sophia leave. But what she didn't know is that Jose was already gone. Okay. And Jose didn't realize that Sophia had changed her mind. So when none of the kids initially took him up on his offer, like he just left. mm mm-hmm. And Sophia took too long to catch up with him. But instead of coming back inside and saying that she had missed him, it seems as though Sophia
2: took it upon herself to catch up up with him at the store.
1: The convenience store where Jose was going was, like I said, pretty close to the house, but he did need gas, so he had to drive. And Sophia was a day before five, so she clearly wasn't going to catch up to him when he's in his car. Right. So, Jose continued on his way, blissfully unaware of what was happening. He went to the store, filled up his tank, got his milk, and then used the payphone to make a call to Mexico. So, like, he just took his time, you know? Because none of the kids were with him. Yeah. So, he didn't have to, like, listen to them complaining. So, he's like, (laughs) I'm just going to go out. I'm going to make a call, you know, whatever. And it must have been a pretty long call because he didn't return to the house until about an hour later. It was then that the entire family realized that something was horribly wrong. When Maria realized that Sofia wasn't with Jose and that she wasn't in the house, she of course panicked. Yeah. She quickly called the police who arrived three minutes later. Wow. Yeah. It was cold that night, only about 36 degrees. So that, combined with the late hour and Sophia's young age, the Kennewick Police Department did not waste any time thinking she was, like, hiding or playing outside somewhere.
2: Good. I mean, good good response. Right, right, right.
1: (laughs) Three officers initially responded to the home. One interviewed Maria, while the other two searched inside and outside. When they didn't find her immediately, they called in additional officers.
2: Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show.
1: Another half dozen or so showed up and they started searching the neighborhood. Eventually, the search radius was increased to three miles, and over the next day or so, hundreds of police officers and firefighters from different local agencies joined in on the search.
2: That's impressive. Yeah. That's an awesome response. Yeah,
1: absolutely. An Amber Alert was also issued, making it the first time that it happened in Washington State. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, this was 2003. I mean, Amber Alerts haven't been around forever.
2: Oh, that's interesting, though. Yeah, so
1: it was very new at the time, and that was the very first one. When Sophia didn't turn up that night, investigators were pretty convinced that they were dealing with a child abduction. hmm What they didn't know was if it was a stranger abduction or far more common family abduction.
2: Right. I'm sure their attention focused to Jose Right away.
1: Right, exactly. And, I mean, there are many adults living in the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it focused i I'm sure they didn't
2: rule out anybody, but, you know, the the prime suspect in my mind at this point in the story would be Jose. Yeah. Because, you know, he was the one that was out of the house.
1: Right. No, and I think that makes complete sense, and I'm sure that's exactly what they were thinking as well. But they didn't just focus in on the people in the house. And this is the one thing that I will say about this investigation. Like, it seems that the police have always done a good job of exploring all the different avenues kind of simultaneously. Like, I don't see any point in this where they get tunnel vision and they're just like only going in one direction.
2: Good. That's awesome.
1: No, it really is. So obviously, yes, they were concentrating on the people in the house. But within two days, police located Sophia's father, a man named Andre Gutierrez Abrahan, so they could interview him and see if he had anything to do with Sophia's disappearance. And where
2: was he living at the time? Because wasn't he in In California? California?
1: Yeah, but he actually was in Washington state at the time nearby, like couch surfing basically. Hmm. Yeah. But when they found Andre to interview him, he said that he hadn't had any contact with Maria or Sophia because he didn't think his Sophia was actually his. Oh really? Yeah. So that's the big reason why he was not in his life. Like when Maria got pregnant, he was like, yeah, that's not my baby. Huh? So yeah, he's like, yeah, I have not talked to her since never met Sophia don't know anything about her. Okay. But like I said, he was in the general area, so police had to look at oh, him. Oh yeah, absolutely. You I mean, know, he,
2: he yeah, in my mind he's he's still a suspect just oh, because for he sure. says he doesn't it didn't have contact like that doesn't mean anything.
1: Right. But he even took a polygraph. And he passed that, and so eventually he was ruled out just because, again, like they couldn't find any proof that he had anything to do with it, no motive.
2: Sure. Yeah. Maybe he had an alibi, too. Who knows?
1: Right. The local media covered this case pretty extensively, and I was lucky enough to find several articles from the first days and weeks of the investigation. So we're able to get a pretty good picture of what police were doing to find Sophia. On February 6th, which is 2 days after her disappearance, another search was done of Sophia's neighborhood and the surrounding area including a wooded area. There were around 250 searchers and they brought in dogs to assist. According to an article in the Tri-City Herald that was first published on February 7th, 2003, in addition to polygraphing Andre Abrahan, Jose Torres, Sophia's grandmother's boyfriend, was also given a polygraph and passed. Sofia's mother, Maria, had also agreed to take one, um, but she hadn't by the time that article was published. But she was in line to take one. But they didn't just rely on that. They also went to the store. You know, they checked out his alibi and he verified that Jose actually bought milk that night. And they were working on verifying that call he made to Mexico. Uh, they also impounded his car.
2: Uh, yeah, you're, you weren't kidding. This this is a thorough investigation. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it does seem as though Kennewick police did a good job of leading a bifurcated investigation. While they were looking into Sophia's family, they also started looking at sex offenders in the area. According to that same Tri City Herald article, there were 151 level one offenders. 10 level 2 offenders and 6 level 3 offenders in Kenowick.
2: So what are what do the different levels mean?
1: The levels of um sex offenders are like burns. So first degree is less serious than third degree. Okay. Uh, level 1, the vast majority of sex offenders are level 1 offenders and they're considered at a low risk to reoffend. So like maybe they're first time offenders or you know it's something relatively minor. Okay. Level 2 offenders have a moderate risk of reoffending. So generally there's like more than one victim and or the abuse was long term. Gotcha. And then level 3 as you may guess are offenders that are considered to have a high risk to reoffend. So they have one or more victims and may have committed other acts of violence you know, this is basically all the rest. So they may know their victims. They may not know their victims. Like it's the worst bunch. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it also says these offenders commonly have clear indications of a personality disorder, which sure. Yeah. 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 So there are six of those level three offenders that lived nearby. They also did some very interesting searches of three different homes in the area. By this time, Kennewick police had gotten state and federal agencies involved, and they served three search warrants on February 8th. So again, four days later. Hmm. These homes, nor the people who lived there, were connected to the Juarez family, but police felt strongly that they could have been part of a crime scene as another Tri-City Herald article describes federal agents in yellow suits and dogs that were described by police sergeant Brian Swartzwalter as, quote, not the kind you send out after bad guys, end quote.
2: So you said yellow suits? Uh-huh. like Like Tybex that's, chem suits? That's
1: what I'm guessing, yeah. So meth? Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't know.
2: Typically wouldn't wear suits like that if, if it was cocaine or something like that. Meth ha- involves a lot of other chemicals, which right. is why you would put on those suits.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just the article just said that they had on those suits. They didn't go into why. And obviously, the police weren't going to like go into why. Sure. But with the dogs being not the kind you send out after bad guys, I take that to mean cadaver dogs. Uh. But I guess maybe it was drug sniffing dogs too. Or I mean, not two. I feel like they probably do one or the other. <laughs>
2: Uh yeah yeah, <laughs> so canines are very yeah specific. specialized yeah. <laughs> yeah specialized in one area and one area only
1: yeah
2: uh, I mean it could the could have been a bomb bomb dogs yeah you don't send those after bad guys typically bomb dogs are very docile sure so, but I
1: don't think that I mean I could give I could say drug dogs maybe but like not bomb dogs in this scenario that doesn't make sense I think yeah. maybe a drug dog but to me I think a cadaver dog is more likely because yeah. honestly I do think. They were looking for a body at this point.
2: Or just not rolling that out. Right. Yeah.
1: During the investigation, police impounded a van from one of the properties. They also brought a locksmith in to search the trunks of several other cars at the homes. So why these homes? Well, according to one of the homeowners, it was a witch hunt. Okay. Okay. Catalana Katie Vargas told the Tri-City Herald the day after the search, which included her home, quote, I am innocent. My boys are innocent. I don't know the Horas family, end quote. And because she had two teenage sons uh-huh. who lived with her. The other two homes that were searched belonged to her family members, and both of her high school-aged sons were taken in for questioning.
2: So I'm, I'm waiting to hear the connection. Did, did they li- you said they lived close by?
1: Yeah, but the Horace family did not know them, and they did not know the Horace family. Okay. Yeah. The scrutiny probably had something to do with Katie's other son, Jeremy Sagastegui. On November 19th, 1995, when Jeremy was 25 years old, he was babysitting for a friend, Melissa Saarbacher. He was watching her two children, a one-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy named Keevan Starbacher. At some point during the evening, he sexually assaulted, beat, stabbed, and drowned little Keevan.
2: Jesus Christ.
1: He then waited for Melissa to come home, and when she did, he shot her and her friend who was with her, a woman named Lisa Vera Acevedo. Both women died. Melissa's one-year-old daughter was unharmed. Jeremy Sagastigui was eventually convicted of three counts of aggravated first-degree murder. He was sentenced to death and didn't fight his execution. His mother, Katie, the one who we were talking about, attempted to fight it on his behalf, but her efforts didn't work. Jeremy died by lethal injection on October 13th, 1998.
2: Okay, so they're targeting the family because of, because of the older son.
1: That's what I thought when I was reading through all of this, because that is, and that's not even a connection, obviously, but that is the only reason I could think of why they were targeting this family. But keep this story in mind because this comes back later. Okay. Despite extensive searches of these homes and property, no trace of Sophia was found in any of them, but the police still had other clues. On February 11th, police told the Tri-City Herald that they were looking for the driver of a van that was seen at Washington Street and 14th Avenue, which was on Sophia's route from her home to the store. Around the time, she disappeared. This van, which is described as a silver or light blue mid-1980s panel van with no windows, it was like a painter's van or a contractor's van, but police were sure to clarify that it wasn't necessarily actually a painter or a contractor's van. That's just what it looked like. That's just a general description of it. Yeah. Yeah. The van sighting coincides with witness reports of a teenage Hispanic male and a young Hispanic girl in the same vicinity. Police also arrested a man named Kevin Ireland in relation to Sophia's disappearance. His wife told police that he had called her and made some weird comments about Sophia. So they searched his home, questioned him, took DNA, but there was never anything to make him a suspect. So he remains simply a person of interest who is more than likely just a creep. Yeah and completely unrelated to this case. So when he was arrested, like he was eventually charged with telephone harassment uh just because that was like the only they obviously were pissed and wanted to charge him with something.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, that, stuff like that takes the the investigation and you know, it, it, it pulls focus. Yeah, it, it pulls focus and it pulls resources.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, so yeah, I think they were pissed and yeah. they're like telephone <laughs> harassment bitch. <Yeah. laughs> Though police were running down every lead, they unfortunately just started to dry up. By February 13th, police said they were finished searching the neighborhood. Sergeant Randy Maynard told reporters, quote, I know some people in the community are starting to get critical. I can't say that I wouldn't be the same. I want them to understand as a department, this is our entire focus, End quote. And honestly, surprisingly, I believe him. You know. Stark
2: contrast from some of the other <laughs> cases we've had where they said it was their entire focus.
1: Yeah. And hey, Barry like, Police Department. You know, well, you know. Um. Yeah. No, I, I really do believe him because when I was doing the research and going through the years of this case, Sergeant Randy Maynard keeps on reappearing in it and his title changes. <laughs> like, So I think I've got... I refer to him as like three or four different ranks uh, throughout this because he's climbing up the ranks in the department, but he is a constant presence in this case. Good. Even though they were finished searching the neighborhood, they still had around 20 investigators working on the case, including some from the FBI. They were still treating this as a missing persons case, but admitted that time wasn't on their side. Right. By February 15th, 11 days after Sophia was last seen, searches turned to nearby Columbia River. Members of the Columbia Basin Dive Rescue began searching the shoreline and wading through shallow areas. They even brought in dogs and a Washington Army National Guard helicopter. Over the next several weeks, Sophia's case started to gain national momentum. She was featured on America's Most Wanted and NASCAR driver Damon Lusk, who graduated high school in Kennewick, raced the Bush series with a photo of Sophia on the trunk of his car. Wow. Yeah, in lieu of a sponsor logo. Holy shit. hmm And while those efforts did result in phone calls, they didn't result in any solid leads. Detectives seem to be incredibly invested in solving this case, but eventually they're just wasn't any more that they could do with what they had. As time went on, there were a few unconfirmed sightings like the 10 year old neighbor who claimed to see Sophia walk down the driveway and talk to a man in all black. There was the drug informant who told authorities that they could find Sophia's body on a farm. In May of 2003, three months after her abduction, police started searching for an orange van with double J's in the license plate number The driver of that was reported to be a white male between the ages of 35 and 40 with a thick blonde beard. But that connection was tenuous at best. Witnesses had basically just reported seeing that van generally in the vicinity at generally the time of her disappearance. But there was nothing else that indicated that it had anything to do with her case.
2: What color did you say that van was? Orange. Yeah, that's... That's definitely different than the other van.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the other van was like a blue, gray, silver type van. Yeah. Interestingly, or almost unbelievably, investigators still thought Sophia was alive even eight years later. Kennewick Police Detective Sergeant Randy Maynard, who I mentioned just a few minutes ago, who he was one of the original officers, told the Tri-City Herald in 2011, quote, My gut is that she's alive. If she's deceased, we'd have found her remains. Maybe that's hanging on to hope. I don't know. End quote.
2: I mean, it's it's confidence in your, you know, searching ability for the for a body.
1: It is, especially in Washington State, because again, so this is our second. Yeah. Well, just last week's on Logan Schindelman.
2: Yeah, didn't we have another one that? Yeah, Kyron
1: Horman. And yeah. Yeah. So lots of trees in Washington. Right. Right. But they did not think that they had missed her.
2: No, I mean, good for them. And maybe they didn't. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I mean, again, like maybe he really is just hanging on to hope, but it's nice to have an investigator on a case like this that is hanging on to that hope.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. Because if if he's hanging on to that hope, he's going to drive the, that investigation forward. Absolutely. If, instead of just waiting for the, not to sound cruel, just waiting for her body to turn up.
1: Right, right. And, you know, so this quote was in 2011, you know, so eight years after she disappeared. Yeah. And he was still doing it. Like, he was still running down leads. Someone contacted them right around that time saying that there was a Sofia Juarez on Facebook who was living in Long Beach, California. Well, so... I mean... Well, I know.
2: Sh- sure, but I mean, but the they name is Sofia Juarez. Like, that's not... It's a very common name. Yeah.
1: But they still ran her down and, like, checked it out. They didn't just ignore it.
2: Yeah, no, that's that, that's good.
1: Yeah. On the 10th anniversary of her abduction, police said that Sofia disappeared. That's not, it's a very common name. Yeah. But they still ran her down and, like, checked it out. They didn't just ignore it.
2: Yeah, no, that's that, that's good.
1: Yeah. On the 10th anniversary of her abduction, police said that Sophia's disappearance had basically reached urban legend status. There were just rumors, you know, swirling around about what had happened to her. One was that she had been accidentally hit by a van and then buried. That one apparently came up a lot. Another was that she was abducted by someone she knew and was living in Mexico.
2: Yeah, uh, slightly more plausible, but aren't all of her or most of her relatives right there within the United... Well, yeah, in the house, it sounds like.
1: Basically in the house, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, and I, I'm sure they do still have family back in Mexico because, sure. you know, Jose was calling Mexico. He's not in her family, but you know, either way, I'm sure they still have connections, but yeah, you're right. I feel like
2: there's not really much of an import business into Mexico. I feel like most of it's coming out of Mexico.
1: Hey, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. People, people do things all the time. Sure. But yeah, I mean, because you got to think just in that house, Sofia was living with her mother, her brother, you know, and all of her mother's six siblings and her grandma. And apparently, so Jose, you know, was Ignacia's boyfriend, but, um, Sophia's biological grandfather also lived nearby and like apparently came out and, you know, joined in the search and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, like her family was very close and they were all there basically.
2: Right. I don't put a whole lot of stock in the, uh, getting hit by a, a van and then buried. Because yeah. the, I mean, how many witnesses were around at the time? It seemed it seemed like they got a lot of witness statements.
1: Well, yeah, they got several witness statements. Yeah, the the van thing, and it was never a witness who saw it. It was more like, oh, I heard that. No, yeah, no, I understand yeah, that. Yeah. I'm just saying,
2: like, it, it, you have witnesses that can identify seeing the gray van, right? You know, possibly with Sophia in it right? You said it was a Hispanic male with a young Hispanic girl?
1: Yeah, but the information that was given at the time mm-hmm. didn't necessarily connect those two. It didn't necessarily say that that was Sophia at all. Okay, And it didn't necessarily connect them to the van. Like, they're, they didn't say like, oh yeah, there are these two people. We saw them getting into the van. It just said there are these two people. There's also a van.
2: Okay, Okay. Well, regardless, you're getting witness statements about Various right. things that were that were happening at the time in that general area, and given that it was a short distance, relatively speaking, between the house and the store, like if she had gotten hit, I by feel like van, somebody would I feel have like noticed something. Would have said that.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, because right. we're not talking about like a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. My yeah, point. I mean, yes. this is a neighborhood. It's a street. Like right. somebody would have seen something. Yeah. Eventually, the Juarez family moved back to California and tried to pick up the pieces. Sofia's mother, Maria, had another child, a baby boy, and got married in 2008. But the next year, tragedy would strike again. Maria Juarez passed away from medical complications in 2009. She was just 26 years old. Whoa. Thank you all for listening, and until next time.
2: This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.